Once Glenn, we're glad to have you with us and uh, glad you uh, could join us during this Lenten season. We are in a sermon series uh, called A Jesus-Shaped Life, which actually coincides with a church-wide study initiative we're doing. Uh, Many of you are doing the devotion book with us, uh, Jesus-Shaped Life, and uh, uh, you should be on day 11 if you are tracking with us. Uh, If you missed a day or something... Just pick it up again. The enemy likes to get in your ear and say, oh, so you couldn't even do it for 40 days. Well, just prove him wrong. Pick it up and start over again, okay? Uh, nobody's nobody's going to grade you except uh, yourself. Um, but it, we are in this, and we're also doing a Wednesday night Bible study. We've had our first one last week. 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Had a great crowd uh, for that. We also record it. So if you can't be here on Wednesday nights, would like to participate, it's recorded. It's available on our website. So I encourage you to find it there. Um, but uh, this week, as we are moving forward, this Jesus-shaped life theme, basically what we're talking about is holiness. Holiness. Being like Jesus equals holiness. But holiness carries a whole lot of baggage with it, right? We think of people that are holier than thou. We think of holy rollers. Uh, we, I mean, there's this, this baggage that comes with that word. But holiness is that which is of God. It, it, it's, it's becoming more like Christ. It's what we, that prayer we prayed, that Wesleyan prayer, that prayer is a prayer of sanctification, of, of holiness. I'm no longer my own, but yours, right? It's, it's this exchange, this divine exchange where we take on the life of Christ and reject our own life of sin. And, and in order to become more like Jesus, we have to have a relationship with Jesus. Everything has always been about relationship. Everything has always been about relationship. We're going to hit that theme over and over again. Today, our, our, our topic is about the obedience of Christ, of, of following Jesus in obedience. If you're going to have a Jesus-shaped life, then you have to learn to act and think like Jesus. And Jesus is that picture of pure obedience. Understood his mission from the Father, never wavered in that. Did everything the way he needed to, even when it hurt, even when it was hard, even when it resulted in death and death on a cross, he was willing to be obedient to the Father. When he was in situations that people were misunderstanding him or accusing him of things he didn't do, he didn't lose his temper. He continued to operate in obedience. Even in the desert, Tempted by Satan himself after 40 days of fasting. Obedient to the Father. Obedience. That's the characteristic that marks the Christian life. That if God is Father, if He is Lord, and I want Him to be my Lord, then I submit myself to Him and I do what He asks me to do. But... Here's the kicker, and we all know it. Let's just be honest. Can we do that this morning? Can we just be honest? Or are we going to play church? Well, let's be honest. I'm going to. You can decide if you're going to. We don't do that very well, do we? we I mean, we, at best, we, we obey sometimes, sort of, right? We, we obey the easy part. We, we love the parts about, I mean, when, when things are going wrong and we need, we need the loving embrace of our, our, our Heavenly Father, we will run to His arms 
immediately. We love that. We, when, when we need encouragement, we'll pick up the Word and, and read His promises of hope and, and ingest those just heartily and, 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 and eagerly. But those areas of our life where we have success, and those areas of life that we feel pretty confident and competent in those, we're not as quick to surrender those. I know I'm not the only one in the room who has that that great commandment of you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love your neighbor as yourself. I know I'm not the only one in the room that my all is a partial all. My all still, there's still things I hang on to that I still try to control that I haven't gotten to the point of surrender yet. It's still, it's still a process for me. I'm still not fully obedient. And, and here's, here's about obedience. You can't be partially obedient. It's like being pregnant. You can't be sort of pregnant. You're either obedient or it's disobedience. And we are a people of disobedience. We're going to talk about the danger of that today. I'm warning you in advance. I picked a heavy scripture. Hang with me, okay? We'll get through it. The early service just stared at me. I think we were all asleep. Part of that was because of that. But um, but you can stare at me. But, but uh, if, if you can hang with me. Also, we're going to read an Old Testament story. It has a lot of gore and violence in it. Don't get distracted by that. I'll make a comment about that before I get into my comments about the the point of it. But don't get distracted by that. Oftentimes, folks go to read the Bible. You get in the Old Testament, all the death, violence, um, murders, all that kind of stuff. You can get lost in that. I'll give you a a suggestion on that in just a moment. I'm going to read a whole chapter, so hang on. This is from 1 Samuel 15. Samuel is a prophet. Saul is the king over Israel. The king the people wanted that God didn't want to give. I'll be your king, God said. Oh no, we need a king. You don't want a king. It's just going to mess you up. No, we want a king just like all the other countries. Everybody has a king. We want a king. Give us a king. You don't want a king. Yes, please give us. Okay, I'll give you a king. You enjoying tax time right now? That was part of the consequences of kings, right? Saul is that king, anointed by God. Samuel, the high priest, prophet. So those are two characters. One day Samuel, the prophet, said to Saul, the king, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. 
for you showed kindness to the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord one all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gogal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Uh, Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear? Samuel demanded. Well, it's true. The army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, you are not the leader, uh, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instruction and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he's not human that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, But please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived full of hope for he thought, surely the worst is over and I have been spared. But Samuel said, as your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, 
and Saul returned to his house at Gilboa of Saul. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul king of Israel. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Makes you feel good this morning, doesn't it? A lot of violence there. I said I was going to comment on that. In the Old Testament, this helps me. This is a, a complete, uh, I, I, I can't go into a complete hermeneutic uh, thing about how to read the Old Testament, but this might help. When you read the Old Testament, we read about a lot of things that happen in a concrete, physical way that in the New Testament we see in a spiritual realm, right? Sin, disobedience equals death. In the Old Testament, when you, when people sinned, when they, they suffered the consequences of their sin in a concrete, physical way. There was death and dying. God, in wanting to preserve His holiness, what He asks us to move away from, the new life of Christ, repent of your sin, come to Me, as He was trying to destroy evil in the world, He wants to get rid of all of it, not just some of it. He wants to get rid of all of it. In the Old Testament, that happens in a physical way. In the New Testament, sin still equals death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6.23 There is still a reality and a harsh reality and a, and, and a very counting reality of the consequences of sin. But in the New Testament, we see that in a spiritual realm instead of the physical realm. Don't, don't think that one's more important than the other. There's still consequences for our sin. With that and this story, we have, we have, we have Saul who is given a mission as leader of God's people. I want you to destroy the Amalekites, the people that were, that were giving my people a hard time while they were coming out of Egypt. The people I said I would protect, the people that I said I will be your God and your defender, the people who did wrong to me, I will pay them back. And so when you go, I want you to destroy them, get rid of every little thing. When God deals with evil, He wants it all gone. He doesn't want remnants hanging around. He wants it all gone. I want you to kill everything, wipe out everything. I don't want anything left of them. Wipe them out. So Saul went and did it. Sort of. Sort of. He went and did, he, he, he did the part that he agreed with. And then thinking, thinking he could outthink God. Thinking to himself, certainly God wouldn't want me to kill all this good livestock. Certainly he didn't realize. That would be a part of the thing. I'll, I'll just keep that for myself. I'll keep the king as a trophy so I can show the people, look, I got a king, and then I'll keep all the livestock. And in order to make it sound good, I'll keep it to make a burnt offering to the Lord. Right? We do the same thing, folks. When we gave our life to Christ, he said, he said, you're no longer your own, but you belong to me. You're now dead to sin. I want sin to have no reign over you. Turn away from your sin and come toward me. Don't bring the plunder of your old lives with you. 
Don't hang on to the stuff you think is good. Don't hang on to the stuff that you think is valuable. I want you to leave everything that's not of me and come to me. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we, just like Saul, think, yeah, but I don't think God realizes how good some of that stuff is. And, and, and I mean, number one, like obeying God in all, on, in everything, really? Like love everyone? Have you ever met Jim? I'm not even sure God likes Jim. Right? Or, I mean, certainly God didn't mean that. Certainly God didn't mean my finances. Certainly God didn't mean my, my, my job. Certainly God didn't mean my family. I mean, certainly when he was talking about idols and he said, make me first. I, I mean, certainly there's another way to do that that's not quite as radical, isn't there? Don't we all sort of hang on to some of the plunder from our own lives? Like I said at the beginning, we, we love to rush to God to give Him our pain and our sorrow and our grief and our burden. We'll run to Him for that. But those things of value, our money, our, our, our fame, our, our ego, our, our recreation, our retirement plans, all, the, all of those things. Well, I mean, in theory, I've given them to you. I said a prayer of thanks once. But we don't fully obey. We drag evil along with us as we're trying to walk in the newness of Christ and we wonder why we've developed a limp and we're slowed down in our development of holiness. It's because we've held on to the plunder of our old lives. The, the, the turning passage in that is when after, after Saul makes all of his excuses and, well, I was going to make a burnt offering to the Lord. I mean, I, I, I was going to worship the Lord. And did you notice every time Saul talked about God, he always said, the Lord, your God. He never said, the Lord, my God. He always said, the Lord, your God. In other words, Saul was going to play religious games. I know I didn't do everything right, but I was, I was going to put a big offering in the offering plate. I mean, it, it, I, I know I'm not the best person, but I was going to donate a building to the church. I was going to donate. I, I, we, we, we do this. We play religious games. And Saul says, what do you think is more important to the Lord? Your sacrifice and burnt offerings or obedience? And folks, we need to hear this. He wants obedience above the sacrifice. All the religious games we play do nothing to honor him. It is possible to live a life of goodness that has no reflection of the love of Christ in it. That has no reflection of the goodness of God. In in fact, this is what the uh, Pharisees in the New Testament made a habit of doing. They, they, They knew the law and they knew how to use the law to their own effect and they knew how to bend it and they knew how to profit from it and they knew how to hold people down with it. They knew how to, to look famous and important with it. And they, 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 would, they would follow every little letter, like how many times they were supposed to wash their hands. They were really diligent about that. How much they weighed out in their produce to pay their tithe. They were very meticulous about that. But Jesus said, oh, you're so worried about that, but you miss out on the weightier issues of justice and love and mercy. 
You can be religious. You can follow all the rules and still not have God as your God. The relationship that God is asking for us, the holiness that he demands of us is a leaving behind who I was, leaning into who he wants me to be. It's a radical departure from who I was. It's a giving up of all that. I'm no longer my own, but yours. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old is gone. The new has come. It's that, it's that divine exchange that we leave sin behind and move to God. We, a lot of us grew up in church thinking that being a good person was what God wanted from us. Being good. Be good. And if, and if, if I was preaching in that style, we'd end the service right now. None of you are good. Do better. Go in peace. Right? Not very helpful, is it? And, and so you go home and you try, and, and this is why we wear masks as Christians, because we're, we can't do it in our own power, but we know we're supposed to be good people, so we fake it. And so we come and, hi. Bless you, brother. I'm going to stop. I don't want to get everybody mad at me on spring break. But the reality is we're still we're still broken. Our obedience has not been full. And even a little bit of disobedience is still disobedient. A little bit of sin is still sin. And the wages of sin is death. But that's not the end of the story. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What God asks you to leave and to kill, He actually is not looking for death in your life. He had death in His life so that we might have the abundant life through Him. Let's, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. If Saul is a, is a sort of a character of disobedience, Jesus is our standard for what obedience to God looks like. And Paul writes about that in, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And here's the attitude Christ had. That though He was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up His divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, 
God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Paul says, though equality equality with God was not something that Christ wanted to hang on to, Jesus, that picture of perfect submission and obedience. Out of every human being that has ever lived, Jesus Christ is the only one who actually had the authority to say, I deserve a throne, not a cross. I deserve honor and praise, not scorn and mocking. He could have resisted, but from the beginning, He did the hard thing so that we could have the good life. He humbled himself. Humbled himself. When you go back to the story with Saul, you can see, you can see that Saul was so worried about what other people thought. He wanted to look good before the elders. He, he blamed it on the, on the people. He, he wanted the trophy to be able to, he, he wanted the influence over folks. There was no humility in him. His service was not for the glory of God. His service was for His own good and His own glory. Jesus, on the other hand, gave up His glory to become a servant. Humbled Himself in obedience. It wasn't easy, folks. Here, here's, this, this is the gospel I'm about to lay out for you right here. A God who, deserved, who, who should have killed us instead came and died for us. We, we deserve the same thing Saul got. We deserve the separation. We deserve that I'm no longer going to deal with you. But instead, he sent his son to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And if you think it was easy, think again. It was horrible. And it wasn't just one day. He suffered throughout his life for us ultimately dying death on a cross so that we who don't deserve it could have life. Our holiness is attached to how much we follow Jesus and give Jesus access to who we are. The message isn't go and be better. The message is know Jesus better. If you were here on Wednesday, you already heard this, but we talked on Wednesday that God at one point in the, in the Old Testament introduced himself as Jehovah Makedesh, the God who makes you holy. The God who makes you holy. That's the work God is doing. Holiness does not come by our action. Holiness is a gift from God. It's nothing that we get to grasp. It's nothing we earn. It's nothing we do. It's something that God imparts on us by His work and by His authority. He's the one that makes us holy. You being good, you doing, doing good things that don't connect with God, that's not what He's after. He's after a relationship that transforms you from the inside out that you begin to talk and think and act like Him. And that's when your heart, soul, mind, and strength becomes more all connected to Him. It's not your work. It's the work he's already done. 
our holiness, our obedience is related directly to how much in love with Jesus Christ are you. That's what holiness is all about. Our obedience. Our obedience is that, that accepting of the, by faith, that Christ's life counts for me. That his death paid for my sin and through him I have life. That's my part of the pie. That's my part of the, of the pie. He did all the stuff. I just, I, I, I invite him to come in and give him access. It's a learning thing that we begin to position ourselves to hear his voice, hear how he's leading us, hear how he's commanding us. So that when we hear his voice, we'll respond to it. We have our granddaughter, Denver, this weekend, and um, she's potty training. That was a good plan by the parents. Start potty training and then drop her off at the grandparents' house. And... uh the language they've been using, it, what she'll say is, my body is telling me it's time to go potty. Well, that's true. That's what, that's what potty training is, figuring out that, that, that your body's telling you that, right? And so that's about every way too often, my body's telling me i got to go potty, right? But in that, she's discovering the task. Part of obedience, folks, is for us to, to say, my mind's telling me this isn't what God wants me to do. My heart's telling me this isn't something that's of God. My, my life is telling me I've not been living the way God wants me. It's a training. And the more and more we do it, the more we recognize it, and the easier we hear His voice. And obedience comes not because of our goodness, but because we love a good God who makes us holy. I want you to bow with me. And I know I bit off a big thing this morning, and, and I know there's a lot in that, and I didn't have time to chase it all out. But as we've been talking, I, I, I wonder if there's something in your mind, some, some of the plunder from your past life, some of the good things that you haven't, quote unquote, good things that you haven't been able to leave behind. Part of your old life that keeps dragging you back. That's the telltale of your sinfulness, like the bleeding of the sheep in the background as Samuel was talking to Saul. And if you have something in mind, there's probably several of those things, but if if you have something in mind, I just I challenge you to to imagine what what would it what would it look like to take a step towards changing that. And for most of us, that's going to create an anxiety because we are attached to those things and those those people, those those places, those circumstances. But I want you to hear this. Even with that sin present in your life, God loves you. He's not mad at you. In fact, He loved you so much that He sent His Son.
We sang just as I am and God does love you just as you are. That's not made up. We're not exaggerating. He loves you. He can't love you any more than he does. But but what God knows is sin equals death. And he loves you too much to let you just keep living in death. That's what holiness is about. It's the gift of God moving us into the abundant life that he created us for. It's not about being good. It's about having a good God who shares his heart with you. Oh, God, may we surrender our lives to you. Teach us obedience. Give us friends and relationships where we can find accountability. But above all else, draw us closer to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one final thought before we we sing. The story with Saul and King Agag. Saul's disobedience had ongoing consequences. By not killing King Agag, it allowed for an heir to continue. It, it comes uh, comes uh, to light down the road in the story. Uh, uh, Hamar, in the story of Ruth and Esther, that was going to kill all the Jews, that was his plan to kill all the Jews, was a descendant of King Agag. Sin has consequences. Sin puts your loved ones in peril. And like I said, in the Old Testament, that was, a, that was a concrete thing. It's no less powerful now, folks. Your sin has consequences on your loved ones, on your family, on your friends, on your community. Let's claim the holiness of Christ. Let Him, let him do the work that He's already accomplished to bring us to the point of salvation. May we be people who mirror His grace and His love in his holiness. Amen. Amen.